We uh, don't have to look very far to be reminded of the fact that we live in a wicked world, we live in a corrupt world, and on every level, that is very obvious. Wouldn't you agree with that? Um, at the very top, you know, in, in the world events and uh, throughout our country, throughout our state, our community, maybe next door to you, and we just are are constantly made aware of the fact that we live in a fallen world and that depravity of man is always on display. And part of the temptation for us as Christians, knowing that we are in Christ, is to look at that and instead of being driven to proclaim the gospel as the only remedy for that, which it is, if we're not careful it's going to be very easy for us to play the part of the Pharisee because that's what comes very easily to us. That is what can be a very natural tendency where we are very much like the Pharisee in the Gospels that uh, would pray loudly and he said, I thank you, God, that I am not like one of these sinners. And we read that account and we shake our heads and say, oh, how terrible and judgmental of him. But how about looking inward and evaluating the attitude of your heart as it relates to the, quote, sinners around you? That's something that we should all continually do because uh, we can very quickly default to that mode of operating, uh, maybe without even realizing it or being aware of it, and, and we play that part of the, the judgmental, critical Pharisee. And the reason that is so dangerous is because uh, we need to remember that but for grace, so go we. But for grace, so are we. Uh, That's the only thing that separates the saint from the sinner. It's receiving and applying God's grace through the Lord Jesus Christ. And we need to be very careful not to develop or allow a completely unjustified attitude of some sort of spiritual superiority. Uh, We need to make sure that we don't see ourselves through some illusion of holiness that none of us have on our own. We don't have that naturally within us. There is no one good, no, not one, naturally speaking, humanly speaking. And what we need to remember is what Isaiah wrote in Isaiah chapter 64, the first part of verse 6 Uh, says this, we have all become like one who is unclean, and all our righteous deeds are like a polluted garment. That's from the ESV. Some translations, maybe one that you have open, say filthy rags. All of our righteousness is like filthy rags. In the Hebrew, the original Hebrew, it's actually much more graphic and unsettling than that. Um, I'll just leave that there so as not to uh, be too indelicate this morning uh, and also maybe to motivate you to, to uh, do a little personal original language word study on what Isaiah is actually saying there uh, because in the literal it goes far deeper than just that. It packs quite a punch. It's quite unsettling and disturbing what he says, but it, it definitely brings home what he's trying to convey. And that is this, that even on our best day, 
and our best works, our best deeds, our best actions before God, it's just disgusting to him. It's disgusting. And that nothing we do, nothing that we try to manufacture on our own could ever be accepted by God. It's never going to break through the barrier that exists between us and our perfectly holy God. On your best day, you are still the worst sinner. And that's true of all of us. That's true of every single person. We need to remember that. We need to keep that in mind. What we need to constantly come back to is a place of recognizing our need for righteousness outside ourselves. And we need to recognize that that is the first step toward salvation. Recognizing our need, our personal need for righteousness outside of, way beyond ourselves, that's the very first step toward salvation. And, you know, there may be people uh, that, that you know in your family, probably are, maybe it's true for one of you today, that know all about Jesus. And if you ask them, do you believe that Jesus is the Savior? They would say, yes, absolutely. And they can, they can give you all the right answers. But until someone, anyone, realizes that I have a need for a righteousness that is not in me and that will never be in me, that must come from outside of me, from Jesus, salvation does not take place. So it's absolutely necessary and essential. And so maybe this morning, God would be calling someone here to evaluate, did I ever come to that place of admitting my need for righteousness that's not in me, not from me. Repentance, we know, is to stop going one direction and turn around and go the other, right? It's to do an about-face. And we know that that definitely applies to sin and wickedness, to, to turn away from our sin and turn towards God through Christ. I mean, we, I think you, you probably uh, agree with that statement about what re- repentance really is. Uh, but what we need to understand, church, is this, that repentance from self-righteousness is just as necessary as repentance from sin. We have to turn away and abandon all efforts of self-righteousness and turn away from and reject all attempts at some self and superior morality. And that's just as crucial as repenting from sin is. Just as necessary. And the reason that I need to say that and declare that to you, and you need to hear that again and again, and so do I, is because it's so very easy for all of us to be like Job and say what he did in Job 27.6, where he said, I will cling to my righteousness and never let it go. <laughs> you got to love Job. Oh, what a great book. What a great book. It's one of those books in the Bible to read and reread and reread and reread uh, because we can so see ourselves there. And though Job was, was right on one hand that the difficulty and tribulation and stuff he was going through was not because he was being punished, he was right on that part, but what it did, all the stuff that happened, it revealed something about Job's heart. 
it revealed that Job, like all of us, can be very prideful and very dependent on our own standard of righteousness. And we can be exactly like Job with that attitude, and we can say in our heart and by our actions, I will cling to my righteousness and never let it go. And that's why, that's why it is so very important for all of us to see and know God according to the divine name that we're considering today. And that name is Yahweh Sitkanu. Yahweh Sitkanu. And that means, the meaning behind that name, that Hebrew name, is the Lord, Yahweh, the Lord, our righteousness. That's who He is. That's what He's revealing by this name. The Lord, our righteousness. Remember, not a righteousness that we have in ourselves. That's not what meets God's standard. And it's what we need to reject and go away from and repent from, self-righteousness. So we need to find righteousness in the only source that will provide it exactly as it needs to be, and that's in God Himself. Yahweh Sitkanu, the Lord, our righteousness. Jeremiah 23, 5-6 is where we're going to see this name revealed. And a little bit of context here. Um, when King Josiah was reigning over Judah... He was an incredibly righteous king, and he brought about all kinds of reforms. He tore down idols, and he brought back the temple worship, and he taught the people the law, and everything looked great for once in a long, long, long time. But what God said to him was a little, a little surprising, a little unfortunate. He said, Josiah, I'm really grateful for all that you've done. You are the king that I wanted to reign over my people. You're doing exactly what I've called you to do. You've restored the spiritual focus and worship to my people. Good job. But I'm still going to bring Judah to ruin. I'm still going to have the house of Judah fall. They're still going to be captured. They're still going to go be taken away. But I won't do it during your lifetime. I won't do it during your reign. It'll happen after you. Because the people of God, the people of Israel, particularly in this context, Judah, had allowed themselves to become so wicked and so evil that God just said, that's enough. And this time, I'm not going to stay my hand of judgment. It's going to happen. I just won't do it during your time. But it will come about. And so, uh, in the midst of that discouraging prophecy, there was hope, just like there always is. In the midst of, of all of God's pronouncements and actions of judgment, He is always merciful. He's always gracious. He always says, this will not be the end of the story. It's going to happen. It's going to be unpleasant, but it's not going to be the end. And that's where this wonderful prophecy and promise uh, is communicated. Jeremiah 23, 5-6. Look, the days are coming. This is the Lord's declaration. When I will raise up a righteous branch for David. He will reign wisely as king and administer justice and righteousness. There's our word for the day. In the land. In his days, Judah will be saved and Israel will dwell securely. This is the name he will be called. 
The Lord is our righteousness. Yahweh Sitkanu. So obviously here, Jeremiah was not saying that this is this prophecy and this promise and declaration is about some earthly human coming, you know, normal king. This was someone entirely different. This is a king that will come through the line of David and will be a fulfillment of God's promise to David that your throne will be established forever. But this is not just some ordinary person, just another king in the line of many. No, this is obviously going to be a perfect king, one who is able to perfectly administer justice and righteousness, unlike anybody else. This is a king who's going to be able to unite all the people of Israel, which no one had been able to do throughout all the different split kingdom kings. And this is someone that is by far not just a mortal king because of the title and name that he was going to carry and have. The Lord is our righteousness. Yahweh Sitkanu. Does this promise and this description of this coming king sound like anybody that you know? It should. It should. Look at what Romans chapter 3, verse 21 through 24 says. Because this, this passage, actually, even though it's by no means a direct connection to what we just read in Jeremiah, it certainly shows us the person that this promise was about in Jeremiah. And this is what Paul says. Romans 3, 21. But now, the righteousness of God, which we all need but cannot attain to or grab onto or manufacture or keep ourselves, the righteousness of God has been manifested. It's been made known. It's been revealed apart from the law. And that, my friends, is the greatest news you could ever know and hear. Because through Adam, every person, every human is born into a very real and bad predicament. And that is that we're born into sin, therefore are under God's righteous, just law, which demands justice for sin. We're all born into being lawbreakers. All of us. That sweet, beautiful little baby that we all are tempted to just say, oh, they're perfect. They're not perfect. They're born sinning. They're born depraved. They're born into the system of the law that no matter how they try as they grow up to remedy and rescue themselves out from under, they will be unable to do it, unable to do it. The law is this crushing weight over every single human being. The law reveals our sin. The law pronounces judgment on our sin. And all of us are accountable to the law that we can never keep. And so it's this this horrible weight. But the righteousness of God still has been manifested. It's been made known. It's been revealed apart from or outside of the law. Although, let's keep reading in the text, although the law and the prophets, that's Scripture. That's a way of saying the Bible, Scripture. 
The law and the prophets bear witness to it. So they, they talk about the righteousness of God. They reveal and point to the coming perfect righteousness of God. But they say, they, they all point to the fact that it's not going to come through the law. The law is unable to provide the very thing it pronounces judgment for. It's unable to do it. And here's what it is. Verse 22. The righteousness of God that has been manifested, look where it, how it comes. Look at how it comes to us. Through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. You're not going to find righteousness in yourself. You're not going to find it by keeping the law because no one can. You're going to be able to find the righteousness you need but lack only through faith in Jesus Christ. For all who believe, for there is no distinction. Verse 23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Here's God's glorious standard. It's way up here. And it's perfect. And it's totally unattainable by any of us. We all fall below that standard. We miss the target of perfection. We miss the target of of absolute holiness that God has and that He demands from everyone that will know Him, from everyone that would be with Him, perfection is the standard. Which means all of us, in ourselves and by ourselves, we're in big trouble, right? We are without any hope of that. And that's why Jesus Christ the righteous one, the one prophesied back in Jeremiah, the one who will be called the Lord is our righteousness, that's why He came. That's why He had to come, and that's why He did come. Because even though all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, that's not the end of the story. That's not just all she wrote. Look at what verse 24 says, and are justified. So all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, but all who come to Christ are justified, made right, declared righteous. That's what justified means. We are justified by His grace as a gift, which is what grace is. Grace is getting something that you could never deserve. Grace is getting something you could never earn or work for, no matter how hard you worked. Grace is something you could never buy for yourselves, no matter how much income you had. It's something you could never know unless someone took pity on you and gave it to you. So all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Amen? There's our hope. There's our hope. And here's how that came about. Here's how we were able to step into all that. 2 Corinthians 5.21 2 Corinthians 5.21 says this, For our sake, the sinner's sake, for our sake, He made Him, Jesus, to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in Him, in Jesus, in the righteous one, we, the unrighteous, might become the righteousness of of God. Wow. Here's Jesus, the eternal perfect Son of God, hating sin just as much as His Father, 
coming in flesh, be, being the fulfillment of what Jeremiah said would happen, that there will come a king to, to God's people in the line of David, but far superior than David ever could be. And he will be the one that bears the name. The Lord is our, our righteousness, and he will provide it. And here's how he's going to do it. He's going to actually take all of your sin, and before God the Father, his Father, he's going to actually appear as sin in his sight so that all the wrath and all the judgment that should be the sinners would fall on Jesus in our stead so that we could step into the very righteousness that Jesus is. We all know what it's like uh, to feel as if we've been treated unfairly, right? We all know what that's like. We've all at some point harbored those feelings of, of being treated unfairly or, or recognizing a certain situation as unfair, right? We know what that's like. Think of Christmas time and uh, every, every family situation. How many times have you seen that in your home, right? Where um, brother doesn't like what sister got or sister does, doesn't like what, the, the fact that she got what she did and brother got what he did, and they cry foul and they cry unfair. Wait, why do they get that? How many times have you heard that, mom and dad? Where, where the kids look at, at their siblings and say what they're able to do, what they're experiencing, what they're enjoying, what they're getting, it's just not fair because I don't have that. And unfortunately, let's be honest, that doesn't go away once you reach adulthood. No. We just look at it in different ways and make it sound a little bit nicer, but we still... We, we still, all of us, are prone to stomp our feet and throw a tantrum and say, it's not fair. We do that a thousand different ways, over a thousand different things. We all can, can very quickly rise up, you know, and with injustice and say, well, this just isn't fair. This situation's just not fair. How many times have we done that uh, in response to something related to the coronavirus and related to mandates and protocols that are in place. And we shake our fists and say, that's not fair. I have rights. Yes, I'm stepping on toes. Sure I am. Because we all need to remember that we are just as capable uh, of crying foul and crying unfair as anybody. And we know what it's like to feel like we're getting the raw end of the deal. But here's the thing. Actually... It's a very good thing that life isn't fair. It's a good thing that life isn't fair. Joel agreed with me. And if Joel agrees, we've all got to agree. I mean, come on. It's a very good thing that life's not fair. It really is. I've had this discussion with my children, I don't know how many times uh, through the years, where, um, especially when they were younger, I mean, Aubrey and Addie are, you know, they're, they're growing up and they're maturing and they're, they've really worked through a lot of this. Uh, and maybe it's because they just got so tired of hearing me say this because whenever they would say, that's not fair, I would say, well, life's not fair and that's good. And here's what I mean by that. Here's why it's a good thing that life isn't fair. If life was fair, eternal life would never be an option. If life was fair, 
eternal life would never be an option. Eternal death would be all there is if life was fair. Because what we all fairly deserve, what is ours fairly, rightly, justly, is to be judged for all of our sin and sentenced to an eternity in hell. That's what's fair. That's what we rightly deserve, all of us, because of what I said a little bit ago, because of the fact that we are all born into sin, and then we choose it willingly. Not only are we born into it, but we, we grab onto it, and we take it, and we, we, we enjoy it, and we choose it. And because God is holy and righteous and just and completely fair and doing what He should in judging sin, Jesus really should never have, have come. Because that wasn't what we deserved. But He did. He did come. And because He came, because Jesus came, and because He willingly took the most unfair deal ever, getting all of our sin, you know, getting all of of the Father's judgment for that sin, and giving us His righteousness and His Father's favor in exchange, I mean, that's... That's the most unfair deal ever. Wouldn't you agree with that? He got all our sin. We got all His righteousness. He got separation from His Father that He never knew for all of eternity and never deserved. We got all of His standing before the Father. It's unfair. But because He did that, we don't get what's fair to us. And we're able to step into something we should never, ever be able to by rights. And because Jesus did that, because He who knew no sin became sin for you and for me, because of that, we don't have to get what we rightly deserve to get. We don't have to. We all know about uh, the concept of filters now. You don't have to be a professional photographer to know about filters for your camera. Because of social media now, filters are everywhere. You know, you've got Facebook filters for your photos. You've got Twitter filters, maybe. I don't know. Maybe that's not true. But uh, Instagram, I know you've got filters for Instagram and Snapchat and all that, all the stuff, the different photo apps. And on your phone, you can get a thousand different apps to touch up your photos. And, and all of those are designed to do something artificially. They're designed to artificially enhance the subject. They're they're designed to take what is there and what is reality and make it look better, make it look like something else, make it look or make it be something other than what it is, right? That's what a, a filter does. And the reality for every believer, listen to me, church, the reality for every believer is that the Father, God the Father, sees us through the filter of Jesus. And it's not an artificial filter. It's not a temporary filter that will go away. It's the permanent filter of His righteousness and His merit. Isn't that good news? That's how the Father sees you today. He sees you through the filter of His Son. Because of and through Jesus, the Father doesn't see all our sin and all our selfishness. 
It's not what he sees when he looks at you, if you're in Christ. He doesn't see our weakness and our failure anymore. He doesn't hold that over our heads. That's not how he views us. That's not the lens through which he views you if you're in Christ. Now, that doesn't mean that he is simply looking at us through some um, artificial or rose-colored glasses. That's, that's not it. It's not some mirage or, or illusion. No, he sees us through the perfect lens of his perfect son and his sacrifice. That's how he sees you, believer. That's why you can face what happens out there in the world. That's how you can still have joy and hope in the midst of COVID-19 or COVID-20 or COVID-21 or however long it goes or whatever else comes along the path. That's how you can remain resilient and wake up in the morning with purpose no matter who wins the political office that you didn't want to. That's how you can still find joy and strength in life even when your bank account looks the way it does. And when disappointment after disappointment comes at you, this is how you're able to still know and have joy and the kind of joy that's far more contagious than any pandemic. It's this right here. It's knowing that God the Father in all of His holiness and justice doesn't see me according to my sin. He sees me according to the righteousness of Jesus Christ that covers me. Oh, believer, you are eternally accepted by God. Not because of any goodness that you have in yourself, Not because of anything you can offer Him or bring to the table. No, all we can offer God is our own sinfulness. All that we can bring to the table is our need for salvation. So it's not because of that. No, you are fully and eternally accepted by God the Father only because of your acceptance of His Son as your Savior and Lord. And when you do that, when you come to Christ... You get a new and eternal standing. You get a new story. No matter what your story was before, you get a new story when you come to Christ. You get a new standing with Him and a new story and you get a new name and you get a new identity that no matter what other aspects of your personal identity that may be true over all of it and and lasting longer than any other type of identity that you might have, you get a brand new identity in Christ before God. And in in big letters over all that, in big letters over all of your, your new standing and your new story and your new name and your new identity, over all of that, engraved forever is the name Yahweh Sikhanu with Jesus in parentheses. That's what's over your life, believer in Christ. Kept in righteousness. Kept by the one who is righteousness. Yahweh, Sitkanu, Jesus. That's what's over your life if you're in Christ today. So what does all that mean for us? Knowing that and hearing that and believing that, what, what's that mean for us? Well, the only 
fitting, the, the, uh, the totally reasonable response for us in light of all this is to have what Paul calls for in Romans chapter 6, verses 12 and 13. Here's, here's how we should respond. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its evil desires. Do not offer any part of yourself to sin as an instrument of wickedness. And we are really good at segmenting ourselves, right? We're really good at compartmentalizing our lives, segmenting it off. Well, Jesus, you can have total reign over this part of me, but this part over here, no, I'm keeping that one. I'm hanging on to that. So what Paul is saying here is, don't offer any part of yourself, not even the smallest part of yourself. Don't offer anything about you to sin as an instrument of wickedness. But rather, instead, offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life, which all of us have been who are in Christ. And offer every part of yourself to Him as an instrument of righteousness. You see that contrast? Everybody see that? Don't offer any part of yourself to sin as an instrument of wickedness or unrighteousness. Instead, choose every single moment to offer every single part of you to God, the one who brought you from death to life, and offer it as, as instruments of righteousness that He can use. That's our response. It's the only fitting response to all that we have in Christ, because of Christ, the one who is Yahweh Seat Canoe, the one who is and is alone our righteousness. Amen? We need to believe that. We need to remember that. We need to apply it. And we need to proclaim it. We need to proclaim it. Now more than ever. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for another wonderful divine name that has been revealed in your word. And though it was revealed a long, long time ago in the days of Jeremiah, we know that it was fulfilled, it was, it was revealed ultimately and eternally in the person of your Son. And we see the fact that he definitely rightly bears that name, the Lord our righteousness, because he was willing to become sin so that we could become righteousness in your sight. Thank you, Father, for being willing to send your perfect Son for sinners like us so that we could step into a new reality, a new standing with you, a new story written over our lives, a new name, a new identity, and it's all tied to the Lord Jesus. It's not tied to us or anything we can do. And that's very good news indeed because that means none of that is dependent on us. We are accepted by you not because of anything we do or don't do. We're accepted by you because of who your son is and what he did for us. And it's eternally secure. Thank you. Oh, thank you, Father. 
May we be people who bear that name well, who bring honor to the name of your Son, who is the name, the Lord, our righteousness. May we live in a way that brings glory and honor to Him and highlights who and what He is. And may we proclaim that to others. And may others see the righteousness of Jesus in us. Not, not some superior arrogance. May they not see some version of, of spiritual arrogance. May they not see people who go around all day claiming to be Christians, but still crying, unfair, unfair. I've been treated unfairly. This is in violation of the rights I have. May instead we be people who remember that by rights we should be sentenced to hell. That's what we deserve, and yet we get what is not ours by rights, all because of your grace given through the giving of your Son. May they see that in us and be drawn to it. Help us in all of this, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen.